Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast. It's Al, it's Sunday morning. Oh, big stretch. It's not even eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Hey, what am I doing? Is this crazy or what? Getting up this early to have a natter. <laughs> uh, how are you doing anyway? What's your what's your weekend been like? Are you doing okay? Have you had a good week? Hope so. Um, what have I been doing this week? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, actually, I just want to make a note of something because there's something I want to tell you about. Um, here we go. I've scribbled it down. I won't forget it now. Hey, that's keeping you in suspense, isn't it? Are you wondering what it is now? Well, I'm not telling you yet. <laughs> so you can find out a little bit later on what that is. Uh, yeah, what have I been doing this week? Well, my week's been very coach-heavy, basically, um, which is a good thing. I really like that. It's very connecting. Um Feels like I've got some purpose to my life um, when I'm uh, participating in that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been very coach heavy, um, both with people who are paid clients and people who who aren't. You know, one of the things I do with people when I'm coaching is um, if I see that someone is in need of some help or whatever, um, I'll offer a two-hour in-depth coaching conversation with me. Um, and that's just like completely free, no strings attached, no sales pitch, nothing like that. Um, so if 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 you fancy that, by the way, let me know. Um, just give us a shout. I'm on um, alan.parry. Um, actually, I'll give me give my Parry songs. Well, I'll give you al at parrysongs.co.uk. That's probably easier to remember for you. Al at parrysongs.co.uk. So if you want one of them, let me know. Um, so that's what I've been doing a lot of this week. I've I've been doing coaching um, with paid clients and coaching with these two-hour in-depth things. Um, and it's been fun. It's really quite exciting. Um, and I've also been getting coached myself as well because um, it'd be strange to coach people and not get coaching yourself, wouldn't it? So I've been getting coached myself. And um, the coaching session I had was with uh, an American coach which was quite amusing, really, because um, when you talk to Americans, they're, they're always interested by my accent, um, you know, because they don't really define it as a Liverpool accident. Accident, accident. Liverpool accent as such. They they think of it as an English accent. And um, it's funny because she asked me a question and I said, oh, that probably happens about three times a fortnight. And she's like, Fortnight? Um, can you remind me again what Fortnite is? And I was like, oh, is this an English word? Is this something that hasn't really travelled across? And she said, no, 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 it's it's used, but it's like a, a very old-fashioned sort of term. So basically, nobody in America really knows what Fortnite is. And it suddenly occurred to me that for her, this was like walking into the set of a Mary Poppins movie. <laughs> oh, jeepers! cheapers Catherine's not due to do this again for another fortnight Um, so I had to explain what fortnight was and I did say to her actually that um, the the English people who'd experienced America have have kind of told me that Americans are somewhat enchanted with the accent and um, that they, they view English people as far more intelligent than we actually are and she said, oh, yes, we do. We, we, we view you as very intelligent and quite dashing. And, uh, yeah, so um, intelligent and dashing is how I appear to Americans 
But then again, I suppose when <laughs> I suppose when Donald Trump is your president and all that, <laughs> it's not a difficult. <laughs> That's the guy you pick for your leader. <laughs> you know what's that old phrase in the in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Maybe that's why I, I seem intelligent and dashing uh, to Americans. But that was good as well. So I've been doing a lot of, of coaching-related stuff this week, which I've really enjoyed. And I've got more of that next week. So I'll be doing uh, much more of the coaching stuff. So if you, as I say, if you want one of them, give us a yell. Al at parrysongs.co.uk. I'll block off two hours of my diary just to focus on you. And uh, we'll have a chat about whatever it is. We'll have a... I say a chat, it's, it's, I shouldn't call it a chat really. We'll have a deep conversation about whatever it is that you would like to talk about. Just give us a yell. And I can do that on Skype as well if you're far away. Or I can do it in person if you prefer. In person's often ideal, I think. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're over in the uh, other end of the world, that's not possible, is it? I tell you what I have been reading um, over the past week. And I've read this in a week thanks to audiobooks. And it's been quite a fascinating read because there's there's been a lot of... Um, it, it's a book, I'll tell you what it is first, otherwise you won't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's a book uh, by Byron Katie. And I'd be interested if you've ever encountered her stuff before. I'd love to know what you think because I kind of find it interesting, but I'm struggling with a lot of it as well. Um, so your take would be really good. So if you've read any of her stuff, give us a shout but I enjoyed the audiobook because there was a lot of stuff in there that had been recorded from actual sessions where you could hear her basically coaching the other person. And uh, so that was fascinating to actually hear real live accounts. But the book was called um, Loving What Is, The Four Questions. And um, it's one of these books. I've read a few books like this, which is really about letting go. Um, and I find them kind of interesting and thought-provoking on the one hand. And yet, on the other hand, it's kind of like, um, yeah, but how do you actually do that? You know, I remember reading a book by Michael Singer, and I can't remember the the name of it now. It was his first book, not the second one, which talks more about his business life, but it was the first one. I, I just can't remember what it was called. And... While it was very interesting and some of the um, concepts were very useful, um, I, 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 it was kind of like how to put it into practice. So in the Byron Katie book, because she has this structure of the four questions, it's easier to put that letting go into practice. But um, what was the point I was going to make? No, it's gone. But what what she's what she tries to get you to do, it seems to me is, oh yeah, that was the set, the two things that I find it difficult with all this letting go is one is kind of how do you actually do that? Well, she does answer that. But the second one is, does this make you extremely passive? You know, if you just, see what she, what she teaches is how not to fight reality. And I think that's quite valuable in many ways because we have, our thoughts can really make us miserable, can't they? And so I find it I find it an interesting concept. So it's not something that I'm just sort of walking away from. But I don't want to be passive, you know, if I want to notice where reality is not how I would like it so I can change it. 
But one of the concepts that is quite useful is she talked about uh, there's only three kinds of business, she says. There's your business, there's other people's business, and there's God's business. Now, as you probably know, I'm not a religious person. But what she means by God really is in a similar kind of way to um, how an insurance company might regard it. So it's not something that's generated by me or by you or another person, but it's kind of a happening. So a good example might be the weather, for instance. Um, Or a good example might even be that a child is born um, with an illness, for instance. So there's no point trying to drive me or drive another person. That's kind of beyond our mortality, isn't it, really? It's God's business, which is that sort of amorphous thing. So you don't have to be a religious person to to think of it in that way, because I'm not, but I know what they mean. Um, It's almost like the kind of fate of the universe. And what she's arguing is that what we often do is we fight reality. So, for instance, um, we get involved in in what she regards as other people's business. Uh, We essentially try and change other people. We try and drive them, you know, as if they're a vehicle. So where we should just be driving ourselves, we end up trying to drive a whole host of other people. So if you imagine like a parent in a family, you know, they might be trying to drive their partner. Um, then they're trying to drive their three kids. And so, and they might even be in a relationship with their parents where they're trying to drive them because they, they have a belief that the way their parents behave to them, they shouldn't be behaving in that way. And so before you even start getting into the work environment, this poor person is driving six other people, which of course is impossible because the only person that you can drive is you. So that's kind of an interesting concept because... It allows one to check oneself in terms of, um, you know, are you actually in your business or you're in someone else's business? And the way she kind of goes through that is by these four questions, you see. So she invites you first to judge your neighbour. So she gave examples from her second marriage and um, she was married to this guy called Paul. And so she would have like, Paul should be kind you know, would be one of her judgments. And then she she takes those judgments and she puts it in front of this thing that she calls inquiry, uh, which are the four questions. So the first question was, is that true? Paul should be kind. Is that true? And then her second question is, do you absolutely know that that is true? And they're, they're quite useful questions, I suppose. But I suppose, I think where I found... Um, I think they're useful questions in this regard because what I notice is that we, we often get driven by stories that we don't actually know are true. So something will happen and we'll say, oh, that's happened because this person thinks that or this person wants that or this person does that or... Or even if I carry on doing this, that will happen. You know, all these things which are essentially guesses. And that second question exposes the guess. Do you absolutely know that that is true? So I found that question useful. But on the first question, do you know that that's true? 
pretty much, you see, it seemed to me as though what Katie was doing was trying, was was having people. The point of those questions is to get them to say no. I don't know that's true. And, and this is where the passivity kind of worry comes up for me, which is why I'd like to hear from you if you're more used to hair work than I am. Because it would be, um, let's give an example. Yeah, the, the word should, while used in a judgmental sense, is kind of has a moral tone to it. You know, you should eat your greens or you should get to bed on time or you should do your homework or you should brush your teeth, all these kind of things, which are kind of moral shoulds. Um, you should be kind, as in the case of her example with her second husband. When she helps people inquire with the question, and you know that this is true, the, fr the kind of interpretation of the word should changes or sounds like it changes to me. So you can, the word should can have two uh, meanings on it. It can either mean this should happen, that this is the correct thing to happen. This is what morally should happen. This is what ought to happen in that kind of judgy way. Or the word should could actually mean this is what I expect reality to be like. So what she's trying to do here is to try and stop you from fighting reality. So if I'm in the Canary Islands, for instance, and I'm sweltering and I'm finding it uncomfortable because it's too hot, I might judge the Canary Islands by saying, it shouldn't be so hot. And then Katie would say, but is that true? Should the Canary Islands be hot? And so when you think about it, you realise that your statement isn't true. Because hot weather is what the Canary Islands have. It's almost like saying it shouldn't be raining here in Manchester. Not that I'm in Manchester, I'm in Liverpool. But it does rain a lot in Manchester, you see. So why? that's why I'm picking on Manchester. So if you were to say it shouldn't be raining in Manchester, she'd say, but is that true? Should it really not be raining in Manchester? <laughs> and you'd say, okay, no, that's, that's not true. It should be raining in Manchester because that's what happens in Manchester. Due to its geography, it rains a lot. And in the same way she was, she was viewing um, when she inquired on her own judgment on her husband, Paul, Paul should be kind. She'd be like, well, is that true? Should Paul be kind? Well, no, he shouldn't because he isn't kind. So why would I expect someone who isn't kind to be kind? So that was kind of her twist on the word should. Not that she said that explicitly. This is what I was kind of filtering out. I noticed a difference between should being used as a judgment and then should being used as a check on reality. <clears throat> and so it, it's kind of interesting that, isn't it? Because it becomes an acceptance really of the reality and this is where I struggle I struggle with with Buddhism and 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 stuff like that even though I know that some of these things seem really valuable it's like but we just accept everything and and I suppose this is why I like the Marshall Rosenberg stuff better because that gets us to notice and 
make requests of other people. Because while it's true you can't get in anybody else's business, that much is true. We can't interact with other people. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not sure that Katie was saying not to do that. After Paul, after all, this Paul who she was talking about in her book is no longer her husband. Um, she has a, she had, she went on and had a different husband after that. So she obviously wasn't passive. She obviously didn't stay with Paul and recognize that, well, this is Paul, so I'll accept it. Maybe she was accepting it more in a, <clears throat> in an improvisational theatre sense. Anyone who's ever done improv knows that one of the big rules of improv is that you say yes and. So they're like the, the two big cornerstones of, of being able to do an improvised scene. You're not like a whose line is it anyway type scene. So if you get up without a script and you do a scene, the way you can actually make it work as an actor is to say yes and. And when you say yes and, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're, um, well, all it basically means, it doesn't mean that you agree. It just means that you accept the reality. So if I'm in a scene with, with somebody and they come and say to me, hello, mum, have you got me sandwiches? They've kind of presented a reality in that scene to me where I'm the mum, they're the kid and I've made them some sandwiches. So having endowed that reality as an improviser to make that scene work, I, I am mum in that scene. So I accept the reality as given and then I will add something to the reality. So a terrible scene would be, hello mum, have you got me sandwiches? And I'd reply, I'm not your mother, I'm your father. And it kills the scene. So I wonder whether she means acceptance in that sense. That rather than fighting the reality that is, you have a really open-hearted acceptance of what the reality is. And are able then to move on and add something to it. Now in her case with Paul, the thing she added to it clearly was a divorce. <laughs> but you can see really, I suppose, what she's talking about there. So maybe maybe it's not a passivity. Maybe it's just an, an acceptance that what is is what is, you know, it is what it is, as one of my songs begins. So I've been finding that interesting. Now, that was just two of the questions, of course. Is it true? And can you absolutely know that it's true? And um, the third question is, how do you react when you believe that it's true? So what is it that you feel? And the reason for that question, I think, is that she's inviting people to inquire you know whether that whether that thought is serving them or not and then she asks so people typically say oh i feel really distressed or i feel anxious or um you know i feel angry stressed out and the final question is who would you be without that thought if it was actually impossible and you were incapable of having that thought who would you be and so she's setting them up there, I think, to, to weigh up. What's the, what does the thought give me? And how would life be if I didn't have the thought? And the interesting thing that she, she does is she then does a turnaround. 
So she has this mantra that she says, judge your neighbour, which is those judgments, Paul, shouldn't be ki- Paul should be kind. Um, judge your neighbour, write it down. So write down these judgments, she says. Ask the four questions and turn it around. That's her mantra. Judge your neighbour, write it down, ask the four questions, turn it around. And then what she gets you to do on the turn around thing, which is, is quite interesting, but was sometimes quite troubling um, as well. But I'll, 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 I'll tell you what they are and then, and then you can have a little think about it. On the turnaround, so where she says, Paul should be kind to me, for instance, she will then look to turn that around in three different ways and see if the new sentence is as true or truer for you. So instead of Paul should be kind to me, the first turnaround is, I should be kind to me. And then question, is that truer or as true than the initial statement? And what insight does that bring? I should be kind to me. Then the second turnaround is to switch it completely. I should be kind to Paul. So all this time where Paul isn't being kind to me, I've responded with a lack of kindness. So actually, maybe that's true, that I should be kind to Paul. Am I asking Paul to live a truth that I'm not myself living? And then the final turnaround is, where you just completely negate the statement. Paul should be kind to me becomes, Paul shouldn't be kind to me. Paul shouldn't be kind to me because Paul... Paul isn't very often kind, so it would be strange to expect him to be so. Paul shouldn't be kind because his path at the moment is to not be kind very often. And so they're the kind of three turnarounds. Where you direct it towards yourself, direct the same message towards the other, and then just negate the message completely. Now... The reason why I found it troubling is that one of the chapters was about abuse and she was talking, I won't go into too much detail here, but she was talking um, to a woman who'd been abused in childhood, sexually abused. And um, the turnaround there, I felt was quite troubling. Um, Now, I don't know how healing any of this is either because... You know, you hear you hear people in these very short sessions on a stage in front of people and they do seem to gain some insight, but it's hard to know whether it's helpful insight. So I don't know whether you've encountered her stuff. I'm 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 really interested in the idea of being able to kind of let go and disattach from anxieties and worries and all that sort of stuff. And I'll probably give this a go. Because sometimes those insights, the turnarounds is, you know, I should be kind to me. Never mind, Paul should be kind to me. I'm not even being kind to me. Why am I asking Paul to be kind to me when I'm not very kind to myself? I'm not living the truth that I'm expecting Paul to live. And I suppose what that helps you to do then is to actually step behind the controls of your own business. Why am I driving Paul? to get him to be kind to me when I could be kind to myself and I'm not. If I have a need for kindness 
putting in terms of connecting communication that Marshall Rosenberg taught. If I have a need for kindness, then let's start with me being kind. So I think there's some value in here, but I'm, I'm wrestling with it. You know, it's not just landing with me. So I might try it out, but if you've actually encountered the work of Byron Katie and I've got something to say about it or have used it yourself, you do what she calls the work, these four questions and the turnaround. Get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your experiences. And I'll, unless you ask me not to, I'll report them back um, on next week's show. So yeah, that's what I've been reading and doing this week. Um, I've also been, um, I was also on, on the BBC this week as well. Um, I was playing guitar for uh, an Americana musician um, called Katie Ellen. And I was on the Billy Butler show. Billy Butler is a, as you probably know, if you're if you're based locally, is a local broadcasting legend. So we were on his show uh, having a bit of a natter about Folk on the Dock, which is the big folk festival that's on um, at the Albert Dock in Liverpool this weekend. And I'll be playing uh, guitar again today. In fact, a little bit later on, just in a few hours, I'll I'll be at the on the Stan Ambrose stage, which is lovely because I knew Stan very well. Um, and he was a big supporter of uh, local folk music, um, and I'll be I'll be playing guitar on Katie's set there as well. I'm a substitute guitarist for the week, so that's been a lovely thing to do. I've been rehearsing a few times with Katie. You know, on Monday and Friday we did the the show on the Wednesday. Uh, we're doing the show today on Sunday, so it's been nice to after my vocal problems to have um, a bit of music in my life again. So that's been fun. But um, my vocal problems seem to be improving. I'm still a bit croaky. I'm still a little bit hoarse. But the advice that my vocal coach gave me has um, has helped quite a lot, actually. Um, <clears throat> and I did another session with him on Friday. And uh, he's been finding, as well as some of the reflux stuff that he was fixing, because, you know, you remember that the, the doctors said I had nodules. And he said, there's no way you've got nodules. You know, the clarity in your voice is not what nodules are. So that's been ruled out, which is good. Um, and he thought it was maybe like a reflux thing, burning the old vocal cords, although I don't have any other symptoms of it. So we kind of got some treatment for that, and that seems to have helped to some extent, but it's still early days. Um, and I noticed that I can sing and enjoy it a little bit more now. You know, I've been getting the guitar out and having a little sing. But one of the things he's noticed is how, how I've been singing sometimes. So... Uh, on some songs, I reach for a note, even though it's well within my range. It's just kind of by reaching, I just mean how I kind of shift my head forward or whatever. And that creates tension, which which makes it more difficult for the voice to work. So he's spotted that and he's trying to teach me ways out of those bad habits. And another thing I noticed that, I'd, I, or he noticed, rather, I didn't notice, he noticed that I did, Um is sometimes on a on a high note that I'm trying to get percussion, you know, I'm trying to get a bit of an attack sound on. I kind of, uh, you know, we can make the world stop is a good example we, where I kind of go, every power, every power that they hold. And I'm kind of like dropping my larynx. Every power that they hold. You can hear that every, every sort of, Instead of every power that they hold. Do you can see the difference? I'm 
I'm kind of doing that, you know, I'm being like Paul McCartney. Hello, I'm Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's not, not a bad impression, that was it. But he kind of does that when he talks, doesn't he? He hasn't done him any harm, mind you. But, um, yeah, so that's that's a few little bad habits that are being picked up that might be causing some vocal tiredness. So it's been quite interesting working with a vocal coach because I've not, I've not done it before. So um, we'll see how that goes. But I'm going to be doing some... Um, I've got an interesting invite. There's a bunch of students coming over from Gettysburg and they're kind of interested in politics and stuff. And so they're having like a, a two-day itinerary in Liverpool where they're, they're looking at some uh, stuff like the Slavery Museum and they're talking to people about local strikes and disputes and things like that. And they wanted to talk to a musician as well. So I've been invited along I don't quite know what I'm doing yet because the itinerary is still in flux. But uh, on the 8th of September, I'll be joining all of those students. And we'll either be having a discussion about about music and politics or we'll be having a discussion and a little bit of a show. Um, they're, they're just sorting out a room. But that's quite exciting, isn't it? That's going to be quite interesting. Um, and uh, they don't know it yet, but I'm going to gift them a copy of the latest album, Freedom Rider. And uh, with them being American as well, I think they they might find the Freedom Rider song quite relevant based on um, what's been going on in Charlottesville and all that sort of stuff. I tell you what, one thing my vocal coach did did tell me is that um, in general speech, I speak very low. Uh, he got me to go, uh-huh. So he'd ask me a question, I have to answer yes by going, uh-huh. And when I go, mm-hmm, it's really quite deep. So your name's Alan? Mm-hmm. And he said that might actually be throwing a little bit of... Uh, it might be my speaking voice more than my singing voice that has caused that little bit of trauma. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? So, yeah, so that's going to be happening with the Gettysburg people. I need to give you a weight update. <clears throat> Not so much for me because I've I've had a, a tricky couple of weeks. Since, since I had my colonoscopy... Um, yeah, a, a, a camera up your bum will 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 do funny things to your weight. So first of all, it actually looked like I'd put ten pounds on, which I knew was bonkers. But because I was dehydrated and all that sort of stuff, I think your body just clings to any water then that it gets for a while. Um, and also, I just couldn't be bothered. You know, I, I I felt a bit sorry for myself, so I was. And the well, not just that. On the on the Wednesday. Before the colonoscopy, they say you're not allowed to uh, to eat anything which they regard as kind of high residue. That's a horrible thought, isn't it? High residue. So they said, like, don't eat vegetables, don't eat fruit, and don't eat beans, which is pretty much my diet wiped out. But I could have um, potatoes, just the insides, not the skins, and I could have chocolate. So I was restricted to, like, a chocolate and potato diet. And so I went and bought a whole load of chocolate, not knowing, you know, what I needed and stuff uh, to get through that day and still have energy and stuff and still feel fed. And so I kind of overdone it. And so the chocolate that I had in for that day stayed in. And so I've been eating it, you know, and um, I've given it all away now. So there's nothing in my fridge. And it's it's interesting, really, because I think it's crucial to set up your environment for success. So... I've wanted chocolate and it's just not been here and I've not wanted it bad enough to go and get up, get out the house, walk to the shop, buy the chocolate and bring it back. 
I've not wanted it that badly. Um, and so I've not had it. And so that's been that's been useful for me, really. But it does mean that in the last two weeks, I've put on three pounds, which is okay. You know, it's a bit of a disappointment, but I'll still get to where I want to be, which is £182 by July. But listen to this. I got some news in from Mark, and uh, I think this deserves uh, a full fanfare. So, uh... yeah, I got... Um... Got a trumpeter in there from the King's Brigade. Um, it wasn't me doing that with my mouth. <laughs> it's good playing the trumpet with your mouth. Do you like do you like playing the trumpet with your mouth? I did that more with my teeth, but let's try a more trumpety version of it. Yeah, I like that. I like I like playing the trumpet with my mouth. I might stick it on a record, and everyone's like, "Wow, man, who's your trumpet player?" I'd be like, "Oh." <laughs> It was me. It was me going. So uh, I think you'd get away with it with a bit of reverb. I do. A friend of mine, Gareth, he um, he's a sound engineer. He's done that with an act. <clears throat> I won't tell you which act, but they did that. I was like, wow, who's the trumpeter? And it was like, well, it's him. He's just going. I put a bit of reverb on, nobody notices. So yeah, but Mark, fanfare for Mark. He's actually now um, broken the 16 stone barrier. He is no longer 16 stone something. He is 15 stone something. So a uh, big round of applause for Mark. <clears throat> I'm getting a bit froggy now, aren't I? Um, that's okay. We're nearly coming to the end. Uh, there's a couple of extra things I just want to tell you. I'll have a quick swig of water, see if that fixes the frog. Go away, frog. So what's it like to listen to a man drink water? <clears throat> Can that be regarded as entertainment? Can any of this be regarded as entertainment? I don't know. Probably not. Um, I got a cracking tip. Right. I told you I've been listening to audio books a lot. And uh, it's a good way to read. What The reason why I started doing it is I will read books that kind of, um, you know, are kind of either self-help or how-to or or give some sort of like intellectual insight. <clears throat> and I find with books that they're often kind of blog articles extended to fit 350 pages. And it irritates me to sit there reading because you have to give them your sole attention. And yet when you put the same thing on audiobook, it works a lot better. Because even though there's sometimes repetition in these books, which are annoying to read for me, it's different when you're listening to it, and I, I like listening to podcasts, so I probably wouldn't have read the Byron Katie book if I didn't have it on audiobook, if I'm being honest. So a lot of these unfinished books that I would like to finish, I've got them now on, on audiobook, and I'm, I'm reading them in that way. But Crispin from Crispin's Corner gave me a smashing tip on my um, on my Facebook group. I've got a Facebook group of... Um, of my music fans. And um, if you go to my Alan Parry Music Facebook page, you'll see it's kind of pinned at the top how to get onto that. So come and join us, it's fun. <clears throat> and uh, what Crispin said is that there is a thing, an app on your phone called BorrowBox. <clears throat> and what that basically means is if you're a member of a local library, which of course I am, um, you can get like ebooks and audio books through this app and there's all sorts there that's available that you can borrow but you're kind of borrowing the audiobook 
via your library membership. Now, I, I downloaded the app and I'll try to log in and it wouldn't let me log in. <clears throat> and he said that the same thing had happened to him as well. Um, but to contact support and, and they'll fix it. So check that out. It's called Borrow Box. And um, if you can't get in, just contact their support thing. Their support thing is on their, their website, so you'd have to Google that if you can't get in with your, your library number. But apparently there's a whole treasure of ebooks and audio books that you can get for free. So no longer have to keep giving money uh, across in order for the, for the book because they can experience those digitally in the same way um, through, through, this, through this app. So that's Borrow Box, um, and hopefully they let me in. Hopefully Liverpool Library are a part of it. It did look like it was, and hopefully your library is too. So um, check that out and get all your e-books and audio books for free. That's good, isn't it? The final thing I'm going to tell you is I've got a few dates coming up um, in September, so I'll let you know what they are. On the 23rd of September, I've got two things coming up. First of all, <clears throat> Connecting Communication. Um, which is where I show you how to get your needs met without conflict. And it's been a really, really popular workshop, three-hour workshop. It's only £10, and it's here in Liverpool. And if it's it's actually almost half sold out at the moment. So if you want to get on board, there's only a few places left because it's I only have 10 or 12 in each time. So if you, um, yeah, you want to be part of that, um, go to ticketall.com forward slash parry events and you'll see all the details there and how to get your ticket so that's ticketor.com forward slash parry events that's on the morning of the 23rd of september and in the evening on the 23rd of september i will be playing uh, my first gig since i uh, had my vocal wobbles and uh, i'll be at bolton socialist club um, the iconic bolton socialist club and they've got support there as well it's going to be a lovely night so that's, uh, you can check all the details out for that at um, parrysongs.co.uk forward slash gigs. And also on the 30th of September, I'll be doing um, the Defiance Sessions. Now, the Defiance Sessions is something that happens at Glossop Labour Club. It's organised by, uh, well, it's definitely organised by Matt Hill. It might even involve Steve Roberts, I'm not sure, but definitely Matt Hill, who um, whose stage name is The Quiet Loner. Um, definitely organises um, those, maybe with help, maybe maybe not, I'm not sure. But I will be playing the Defiance Sessions, which is a, a regular night of radical music at Glossop Labour Club, and I'm their guest on the 30th of September, so I'm really excited about that. I'll be doing a full two-hour set there. And just mark this in your diaries, the 6th of December. I did, um, I did a show with the playwright Sarah Lowe's, um, I think it was last month, wasn't it? Was it last month or was it earlier this month? Time's weird, isn't it? I have no idea when things happened. Very recently anyway. And it went down a storm. And what people said to us is, will you please do this again? So we're, we're developing a different show. Uh, and it's going to be Christmas related. It's going to have a bit of a radical edge. And that's going to be on the 6th of December. <clears throat> so put that on your uh, diaries for that one as well. So that's pretty much all from me. It's been lovely talking to you. If you get this in time and you want to see um, you want to see me playing guitar for Katie Ellen, um, then come up to the Stan Ambrose stage at Folk at the Dock uh, today, Sunday at twenty past two. And if you miss that and you want to check out 
um, Katie Ellen's work, go to katieellenmusic.com. Um, Katie with an I-E and Ellen, E-double-L-E-N. Some smashing music there. I think you'll really enjoy it. So that's all from me, I think. Have a lovely week. Have a lovely Sunday. And uh, I'll see you next Sunday. And remember, if you've, if you've come across Byron Katie's work before, get in touch and get in touch anyway because I love to hear from you. That's all from me. Taxi, bye. She would never say where she came from Yesterday don't matter If it's gone While the sun is bright In the darkest night Well, no one knows She comes and goes Goodbye, Ruby Tuesday Who could hang a name on you When you change with every new day Still I'm gonna miss you Don't question why she needs to be so free She'll tell you it's the only way to be She just can't be chained so a life where nothing's gained and nothing's lost At such a cost Goodbye, Ruby Tuesday Who could hang a name on you? When you change with every new day came Still I'm gonna miss you There's no time to lose I heard her say Catch your dreams before they slip away Dying all the time Lose your dreams and you will lose your mind In life unkind When you change with every new day 
Still I'm gonna miss you Still I'm gonna miss you Still I'm gonna miss you